Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. This sermon features our worship pastor, Lizzie Bailey, and was recorded on Sunday, July 25th. Thanks for tuning in. If you're in the area, we would love for you to join us on campus next Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. And if not, you can always join us for FaithBridge online. Just go to faithbridge.org live. Here's Lizzie. Good morning. This is different. Uh, I am so excited and thankful and honored for the invitation from Pastor Ken to share with you guys. Just some things that God has been really burning into my heart and soul, things that I've been praying into for myself and for you and for our church. Uh, So I'm really, really grateful for this opportunity and uh, excited that you're here with us. Thanks for watching online, if you're watching online. Uh, So a couple weeks ago, Pastor Dan talked to us about the great problem of humanity, which is sin. And then last week, he introduced us to God's solution, which is the person of Jesus Christ, our rescuer, our redeemer. And so this morning, I wanna talk to you about our response to those realities. In light of who God is, in light of what he has done for us, how do we respond, how do we live? So I wanna talk about worship. And I'm excited about that this morning. Uh, We're gonna look at John chapter four. Uh, If you wanna turn there, if you have your Bible, if not, it'll be on the screens. Our ushers have Bibles that they're handing out. If you need one, just lift a hand. This story's probably familiar to many of you. It's a conversation that Jesus had with a woman in Samaria. So John chapter four, we're gonna start reading in verse five. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour or noon. Just a note here, uh, it's significant that the Bible mentions that it was noon, uh, because normally women would come and gather water early in the morning when it was cool, and the fact that this woman came at noon indicates that she was avoiding people. Uh, She was coming when nobody else was there. She probably had some shame in her story. So just take note of that. We'll keep reading. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples have gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Another quick note, uh, Samaritans and Jews hated one another and Samaria was a region directly between Judea and Galilee which was a route often used but Jews would go all the way around out of their way to avoid interaction with Samaritans but Jesus made a beeline for this woman at noon when she shouldn't have been there anyway. So this is significant. Let's keep reading. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But... Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. 
So Jesus is kind of drilling into deeper things. I love that about Jesus. He wasn't one for chit chat. He got right to the heart of the matter every time. I don't like chit chat either. Uh, but this woman is, is not really getting it yet. She's sort of starting to, but she's still thinking literal water, although Jesus is speaking to something deeper. He's talking about thirst of a different kind. But now he really gets in her business, and uh, as he does with all of us. And he says uh, in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our forefathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place we ought to worship. So she's sort of starting to get now that, that this man knows things that he shouldn't know about her that he's, he's, he must be a holy man or prophet. And so she immediately starts talking about church. Changes the subject immediately from her life and her reality that Jesus was trying to get to and says, oh, well, let's talk about ritual and religion, uh, which is so funny to me. But so Jesus says <clears throat> in verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in, Jer nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming and when he comes he will teach us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. So here's someone who, like many of us, when she thinks about worship, when she thinks about church, she thinks about going to church and ritual and outward display. But Jesus is about to turn that on its head. And my prayer is that he does that for us as well this morning, that he speaks to us in that way. So we're gonna explore the subject of worship. We're gonna ask three questions. Number one, what is worship? Number two, what does worship look like? And number three, why does it matter? So question number one, what is worship? I like to define it like this. Worship is believing that something or someone is ultimately valuable and living into that belief. The word worship comes from the old English word worship, which means to ascribe worth to something. So everyone in this room, everyone watching online, we are all worshipers, whether we've ever set foot in a church or not, because we all ascribe ultimate value to something. We all believe that something is the thing, the something that if we just had that, we'd be complete. If we just had that, it would be, everything would be great. Maybe it's uh, success for you, professional success, or money, or comfort, or a relationship, or you know, the right spouse or a different spouse or something that you think, oh, if, if I had that, everything would be all right. It's what we dream about. It's what we live for. It's what we sacrifice for. It's what we worship. It's what we think is ultimately valuable. Um, in the movie Harry Potter and the book, I think it was the first one, there's this moment where Harry discovers this mirror. It's called the Mirror of Erised. And he looks in the mirror and he's shocked because in the mirror he sees his mom and his dad and himself. And they're loving and they're smiling and it's beautiful. And this is shocking because Harry's parents died when he was a baby. 
is not a spoiler. If you haven't read Harry Potter by now, I don't know what you're doing. Um, so he sees this mirror, so he's amazed. So he runs to go get his friend Ron. Ron, come look at this mirror, my parents are here. And so Ron comes, Ron looks in the mirror, but he doesn't see Harry's family, he sees himself, but cool. Because Ron is not cool. And so he's popular and he's athletic and everybody's cheering for him. That's what he sees in the mirror. And he's like, whoa, this is amazing. So Harry's confused. And Dumbledore explains, this is the mirror of Erised. Erised spelled backward is the word desire. And uh, he said, this mirror shows you what is in your deepest heart, what you want the most. And so I wonder if we had a mirror of Erised, what we would see what's deep in our hearts, what we want, what we treasure. That's what we worship. Worship is always about what is in our deepest heart. Um, If you look at the word that Jesus used here for worship, the Greek word is proskuneo, uh, which is kind of fun to say, Um, but it literally means to kiss toward, to kiss toward, isn't that cool? Uh, So think about like blowing a kiss. Who do you blow a kiss toward? Only somebody you love, you know your kid, your spouse, your best friend, your parent. This is what Jesus is saying God is looking for. To kiss towards something is to aim our affection, our attention, our devotion at something that we consider valuable. And that's exactly what worship is. It's the aiming of our affection, our devotion, our attention at something that we think is ultimately valuable. And we have bad aim sometimes. We, we, we consider things ultimately valuable that should not be in that place. Only God should be in that place. Uh, one time when I really missed this in my life, and I have many times, but one time in particular, I was a teenager, probably 14 or 15, and we went to visit my grandparents in South Georgia in this little tiny church, and uh, we we're at the church service, and they asked me to sing a song of worship. And so I was like, okay. So, uh, Honestly, I was, I was really a snob at that, t- at that time. And I was really very impressed with myself. And so I walked up to the p- little podium and I, this is what I did. I walked up to it and I sort of did this lean on it, this casual lean. And I crossed one foot in front of the other. And I sang my song of worship to God in that posture because I was so cool and awesome and I was blessing the hicks with my talent. <laughs> And, uh, oh, the arrogance in my heart at that moment. It was just so gross. And I had this opportunity to point people to the glory and grandeur and majesty of God. But instead, I was just focused on myself. I was curved inward, and I missed it. And, and the reason I did that is because I was just thinking I was ultimately valuable, and my attention and approval of other people was ultimately valuable, not God. And so in that moment, my life was distorted and diminished and not what God created it to be. And that's what happens when we ascribe ultimate value to something other than God. Anytime we do that, and we all do it, we will be diminished, we'll be distorted, we'll be less than God intended us to be. So worship is believing that something is valuable and living into that belief. What does that look like? What does worship look like? Well, the text is really helpful. Jesus offers two major understandings of what worship looks like, and this is very relevant even today. So he says to the woman, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. 
the Samaritans had a Jewish origin, but they had sort of altered the law and made it their own and added some things and changed some things. And that was one of the reasons the Jews were like, y'all are the worst. You've, you've taken what God said and you've twisted it. And so you're apostate and we hate you. Um, and so I like to, to liken this to now how people are spiritual, but not religious. Have y'all ever heard this? Um, somebody's like, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Like, I'm not going to submit my life to a body of truth. I'm just going to sort of pick and choose things I like, things that make me feel good. That's my religion. That's where this woman was, probably. That's where a lot of Samaritans were, and that's where a lot of us are. We're like, we're just spiritual, we're not religious. Well, another viewpoint is the way of religion. So Jesus says, uh, the Jews worship what they know. Now, we still do this as well. Uh, The way of religion says, if you uh, go to church, if you're a moral person, if you're nice, sort of polite, more good things than bad things, you'll be accepted by God, you're good. That's the way of religion. It's all about outward performance. It's all about what we do to get to God. Jesus is saying to this woman and to us, neither of these is right. Neither of these is right. Worship is not about location. It's not about ritual. It's about the heart, the spirit, and the truth. He says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So what does worship look like? It looks like spirit and truth. Uh, This word for spirit, here's the Greek word pneuma. It means wind, literally. It's used all over the New Testament and translated various ways, but it refers to the deep, immaterial, intangible, eternal part of who we are. The part of us that connects with God. We don't see God with our physical eyes. We can't touch him with our hands, but we connect with him in the spiritual realm, in the deep, true, eternal part of us. And so Jesus is saying that's part of worship. Another part of worship is truth. And what is truth? Truth is reality as God defines it. This is really important, y'all, in our culture. Truth is up for interpretation. And, you know, your truth, my truth, his truth. God says, no, there is a truth, and I define that truth. And so worship is when we understand the truth of who God is, we encounter the reality of God, and we respond in spirit, in the deepest, truest part of our heart. It's always about the heart. Right worship, the worship Jesus said God is seeking is people responding truly with their truest inner self to the reality of who God is. He doesn't want ritual. He doesn't want duty. He wants hearts that are captivated by him. So Matthew and I have been married for 21 years now. We have five kids. And so one Mother's Day, an important holiday if you have any kids, uh, but especially if you have have five, you know, he owed me big time on this holiday. So anyway, uh, it, was, it was a holiday. You know, we give each other gifts here and there, as I'm sure you do. And I remember the way he gave me the gift was a little weird. Um, I was sitting on the sofa, the kids were around, and he sort of walked by behind the sofa, tossed the gift, and then just went outside and started brushing the pool. And I was like, okay, okay. So I opened the gift, and it was a nice gift. Um, but it was, it was just like, I didn't need you to run an errand for me. Like, I want to connect with you. I want to know you. It's like he knew that a gift was required <laughs> for this occasion. But he was more concerned about like, okay, to be a good husband, I give a gift. 
He was not thinking about me and my heart and connecting with my heart. That's what, that's what I wanted. That's what we want, right? We want connection. We want real knowing and being known. And this is what God is saying. I don't need you to do a task for me. I'm God. I can do all the tasks. I want to know you. He wants hearts that are captivated by him and by his love. So I think we do the same thing with God. I think we know, oh, he wants me to go to church. He wants me to be a good person. I'm going to come, toss some money in the plate, do my duty. I'm a good Christian. I'm a good person and move on. But we miss out because that's not true worship. True worship is spirit and in truth, and it's always about love. That's what worship looks like. In Hosea 6.6, God is speaking and he says, I don't want your sacrifices, I want your love. I don't want your offerings, I want you to know me. So worship looks like love. Worship looks like obedience. Worship looks a lot of different ways. It looks like kneeling and singing and giving all we have to the king of kings. The most commonly used word for worship in scripture means to bow low. We can worship God anytime, anywhere, but I do wanna say something about this gathering, this moment where we come together in this space. This is special. This is when we all together are aiming our affection and our devotion and our adoration at the King of Kings together and the effect is multiplied and God is blessed. Y'all, Sundays are about Him. They're about honoring Him. They're about responding with thanksgiving and love and gratitude to the God who gave everything for us. They're not about our preferences. They're not about our favorite song or this song we don't really like or, you know, it's about God. It's about us blessing our creator with true worship. And when we come together, we're also blessed because our affections, they get realigned. You know, we kind of go off and my friend says our hearts have sticky fingers. Like we kind of go toward this and we go toward this. And when we come back here, it's like, oh, God is the center. He's the only one who can sit on the throne of our hearts and things be right and be aligned as they're supposed to be. So the kind of worship we're made for, it looks like bringing everything we have and laying it before the one who gave everything for us. So why does worship matter? Our last question. Well, Jesus says right here in the text that God is seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. If God is seeking it, that tells us right there that it matters a lot. Uh, Worship matters because God is worthy of worship. He's glorious, he's good, he's better than we think. And so he's worthy of our adoration and our loving response. And worship matters because it shapes our lives. Do y'all remember the story in Lord of the Rings of the character Gollum? Uh, I don't know if you are Lord of the Rings fans. I told Dan I just did this illustration for his benefit, but. Uh, We're Lord of the Rings fans in our house too. But anyway, Gollum is a character who worshiped the ring. Uh, He lived for it, he gave it all his affection, all his attention, but the ring was evil and the ring made Gollum evil and he became distorted and diminished, like literally ugly and cruel. It shaped his life into something hideous. And worship, when we worship rightly, shapes us into who God made us to be. It makes us free people. Look at the woman in the story. She was hiding. Shame was ruling her story. And when she encountered Jesus for who he was and responded, everything changed. She ran to the people she had been running from and hiding from. And she couldn't stop talking about who Jesus was. She became alive. She became who God created her to be. 
So when we attach ultimate value to something less than God, when we worship something less than God, we will be diminished. Our lives will be distorted. If we worship success, we'll be a slave to our career. We'll neglect our family. We won't rest. We will be devastated if we fail or if we get fired. If we worship the approval of others, we will be on this roller coaster of when things go good, when people say we're great, we go up. When people say we're not great, we go down. And our lives will be ruled and mandated by that. If we worship our family, which is a good, beautiful gift of God, but not meant to be the ultimate center of our lives, what happens when death comes or when our kid goes against what we believe? or marries somebody we don't like, or goes to the wrong college, or doesn't go to college, or you know, all these things happen that are out of our control and we lose it because family has been our center of worship and adoration and affection and attention. And God's like, I'm the only one who can be in that place and things be right in your life. That is what we were created for. We need to fill up our minds with this truth, church, because Worship is shaping us into some kind of people. And we want to be the people God created us to be. My dream for Faithbridge, for all of you who I love so dearly, is that we will encounter the reality of who God is and we will worship as a response. And I'm not just talking about singing a song or praying a prayer in this room. I'm talking about our whole life, a response of obedient worship. And anything we do can be done in worship. If it's done as a loving response to God, changing diapers, taking care of your kids, serving your family, working, what you eat, how you treat people at the cash register, all of that can be worship. If we're walking in light of who God is and we're responding to that. We're all like the woman at the well. We have all believed a lie that something or someone will will be it for us, will be enough will satisfy us. That thirst the woman had that she thought a romantic relationship could fill, we all have our thing that we've believed. If I just had this, it would be enough. I'd be satisfied. I'd be full. But it doesn't work, y'all. It does not work because God made you for himself. He made, him, he made you to know him deeply. He didn't make you to come to church and check boxes and say, ah, oh, I'm a good Christian, I'm moral. No, he made you to be fully alive, rivers of living water flowing out of your life and giving life to other people. That's what worship is. We have a friend, he's a cellist, and he plays so beautifully, kind of playing that makes me cry. And we were playing at a worship service, and I, I saw him backstage in between services, and he had this big binder, and it was full of these printed pages. And I was like, what, is, what are you doing? And uh, the binder was full of psalms. He had printed all these psalms, just talking about who God is and what he's done. And he would just read the psalms, read the psalms, fill up his mind with the truth of who God is. Then he'd walk out and he'd pour it out. And he'd play and he'd be who God created him to be in that moment. He worshiped. And it was a river of life in him and to other people. That is what I want for us. That's what God wants for us. It's what he made us for. So that's my prayer. You know, sometimes I I come in here, I don't want to be here. I don't feel it. I don't feel like lifting my hands or any of that. But and and sometimes I follow that feeling and I go through motions. Sometimes I lean on a podium like a dummy. And I miss 
what God created me to be in that. But sometimes I grab my soul and I say, soul, remember who God is. Remember that he loved you when you rejected him. Remember that he rescued you. Remember that he is the source of life that you're looking for, that you think you're going to find in these other ways. And I talk to myself and I remind myself and I choose to worship because God is worthy. He's always worthy. And in those moments, I come alive in worship. And I want that for us. That's my prayer for us. I'm going to pray and we're going to get a chance to respond in worship. We're going to sing. Desi's going to lead you guys in the communion service and Caroline and Silas are going to lead us over here. And I just want to invite you to aim all your attention, all your affection at the one who gave everything for you, the one who is waiting to give you life. Maybe you need to push yourself and and posture your body in a way that reflects the posture of your heart. Maybe you need to lift your hands. Maybe you need to kneel. Maybe you just need to sit and pray and get real with God. Whatever you want to do, however you want to worship in these moments, I invite you to do that. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have created us for worship. Thank you that you loved us first and that you've created us to love you in return. I pray that you would fill this place with your spirit. I pray that you would show us the reality of who you are and of your love and of your greatness and of your glory so that we can respond rightly in the way that you created us to respond. Because you are worthy of everything we have, oh God. You are worthy and you are better than we think. Thank you that we get to worship you. Thank you that you make us come alive. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.